Welcome back to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III, and on this episode, we'll be talking low Earth orbit in-flight connectivity with OneWeb. I recently had the chance to catch up with Ben Griffin. He is the Vice President of Mobility with OneWeb. A lot of our listeners are probably already familiar with OneWeb, especially if you caught our most recent episode that is a replay of a panel discussion from our event featuring OneWeb, SpaceX, and Telesat. If you haven't, check that out. It's a really interesting discussion that happens there. Now, many of you may have seen the big announcement last week where OneWeb reached an agreement with French satellite operator Utelsat to combine, bringing together their satellite assets in geostationary orbit and low Earth orbit for multi-orbit service. And while we do briefly touch on that topic at the end of this interview, we didn't discuss it in depth as the interview was conducted right around the time of the announcement was actually released. So we mostly just had some initial reaction from Ben about the UTELSAT deal towards the end. But if you do want to learn more about that topic, I definitely suggest reading Via Satellite's article and interview with executives from both companies about that deal. Some of the topics we do discuss, however, with Ben include why OneWeb sees Leo as providing advancements in performance and connection speeds for in-flight connectivity, how Leo service could impact the business models used by airlines to operate in-flight internet service, and some of the key takeaways from the recent flight test of their Leo network that was completed on a Boeing 777. So let's get into our discussion with Ben Griffin, Vice President of OneWeb. So Ben, you've been with OneWeb since before Chapter 11. What's changed in the organization since that time, and what excites you most about OneWeb right now? Yeah, so um, I've been with with OneWeb for three years now. Um, so so since the original uh, version of it, or one of the original versions of it, um, and and in fact LinkedIn reminds me that it is in, in fact three years. So getting some uh, some some welcome uh, messages, congratulations. I think overall. Um, OneWeb is in a situation where the, the mission hasn't really changed. It, it's really about connecting the unconnected, um, and it's all about changing um, the way in which people are able to to connect and providing a, a positive disruption to existing markets and bringing bringing a level of connectivity and um, uh, to to people who otherwise wouldn't have it. So. Um, in, in many in many senses, nothing really has changed. Um, in in other senses, of course, there's a, a personnel change in in the uh, leadership of the business, um, which which is natural, obviously, because of the, um, the the ownership of the company and also the um, the, the, the most recent uh, direction in which we in which we're going. So, in in like I say, it's it feels very familiar, but very sort of new uh, at the same time. But the reassuring thing is, uh, from my perspective and, and from those of our prospective customers, is that we, we still aim to do the same thing, which is take connectivity, specifically in-flight connectivity, to a place where it hasn't really been before. Right. And, you know, speaking of in-flight connectivity and, and some of OneWeb's goals, 
with aviation specifically. Uh, let's just go back, you know, a couple of years. Um, before OneWeb, you have had an extensive year uh, career in the aviation industry. Can you give our audience some background information on your career in aviation, some of the technologies you've worked on, and, you know, how you ultimately ended up in this role with OneWeb? Yeah, sure. Uh, the very quick version is um, I sort of came out of school and straight into um, into air traffic control, actually, and I trained as an air traffic controller, uh, which was which was really at the the, the, the sharp edge of of um, of operational aviation, if you like. Um, and there, it sort of took a, a couple of turns, but opportunities presented themselves largely through um, people who I who I'd met and also shown an, an interest in in the technology side of things. And, and took me into um, it, what, as was Arink, uh, which was really focused on cockpit communications, data link um, uh, applications and things like that. So that's where I really first sort of cut my teeth, if you like, in the, in the connectivity world. And my air traffic control background stood me in good stead for that. And then over a period of, of probably the next decade, um, I sort of worked my way back from the front of the aircraft into the cabin um, where I enjoyed a spell with uh, a, a, a prolonged spell with with Arink and then into Aeromobile, which, as many many people will know, is one of the pioneering GSM providers in in the in flight connectivity world. Um, and I stayed there for a good few years, and then if you if you like, sort of moved up the food chain um, because there was a very close affinity with with Satcom and Satellite. And in particular, in Aeromobile's case at that time, with uh, within Marsat on the L band, um, on the L band, and then a Swift broadband uh, platforms, so it became fairly logical, and, and I guess written in the stars that um, it would lead me ultimately to Inmarsat, where I spent a good deal of time uh, in the Middle East, based in Dubai, um, where I looked after Middle East Africa, and 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 in the later years also Asia Pacific from a, a, a commercial aviation perspective for business development, sales, strategy, all those sorts of things. Um, and then it became quite obvious to me that, you know, there is a, a force awakening in in-flight connectivity that was not just geo. There were other things happening. Um, Air-to-ground obviously was quite big in, in the United States and, and started its proliferation in, in Europe or, or the rest of the world through Inmarsat's EAN. Um, but also this low Earth orbit thing, which... You know, arguably it's been around for some time in the in the form of Iridium, but never really in in high bandwidth global uh, cabin um, areas. And that's one thing that I, I felt a real um, fortunate opportunity in terms of the timing was great. Um, and 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 once again, I think having having known some people and and making the most of opportunities, uh, one web effectively came came knocking and and that was a great great opportunity for me i think also hopefully for for OneWeb as well to turn that from a, a a sort of concept into a into much more of a, a reality and that's where we are today so so um you know a good way along launching the satellite constellation looking forward to service in um, in the middle of 2023 and really evangelizing and, and making the making the story come alive so in a in a very short, whatever that was, a minute and a half. That's kind of that's kind of the the um, how my career has tracked through you know pure coalface aviation operational stuff in air traffic, all the way up to uh, up to space. 
Right. You mentioned a, 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 a you know a number of different very interesting roles there in Marset. Aeromobile, which I'm sure a lot in our audience are familiar with. And, uh, you know, myself, I kind of started covering this topic in the 2013 to 2014 time range. At that time, in-flight connectivity, especially from a commercial airline passenger point of view, was almost sort of a, you know, benefit, a, a kind of an extra feature to have. I think since then, as you've, you know, definitely seen in your, your 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 different roles that you mentioned there it's become you know something that's expected uh you know especially through this you know last few years with the pandemic and um you know just passengers and really everyone using the internet uh for business purposes um now that you know one wife has come along and it's it's made some progress here can you tell us especially you know considering again uh, in the past, in-flight internet, it hasn't been the greatest. It hasn't really supported the modern use of the internet in the way that you know passengers want to. Can you tell us why you know what OneWeb is launching in terms of its Leo satellites could change that paradigm for aviation? Yeah, so so let me just comment on a couple of things you mentioned there before I before I get onto your question. I think um, you're absolutely right. The the, the connectivity element as has accelerated over the last, um, you know, five years compared to the sort of ten or fifteen years preceding that. It wasn't all that long ago that it was seatback telephones, even fax machines in um, in galleys and those sorts of things, um, and seatback SMS and email. And and here we are now with a plethora of of, of solutions and services available. Um, and it is, I have to say, it is phenomenally difficult to deliver a good connectivity service to an aircraft you're you're uh, or, or one should assume that you're trying to provide um you know a a wireless connectivity basically to a to a vessel that's moving uh, well above the surface of the earth at speeds of you know seven eight hundred uh, kilometers an hour or, or five six hundred miles per hour um from from connectivity routers effectively that are in geostationary terms 36,000 kilometers above the earth so so there's an awful lot of difficult things to try and solve in that equation not least the ground network and then delivering something which meets the expectation of the ever increasing demands of of, of the customer and the customer is a passenger on an aircraft um, periodically but they are a consumer of broadband almost constantly so this demand, this expectation is is garnered and, and um, generated on the ground. And there's an increasingly increasing lack of tolerance of poor connectivity in the air. Um, and I'll, I'll do a shameless plug of our passenger survey that we just completed, which I believe is the first sort of post-pandemic passenger survey, which backs up all of those things where, you know, connectivity is more and more, as, as you rightly say, since during and post, if we can call it post-pandemic, um, you know the, the need for connectivity is is greater, and the dependency on it goes grows greater still. And as I keep um, harking on, you know, we're trying to build a connectivity service as an industry for not just the people who fly today on a weekly or monthly basis, but really for the for the generation that's yet to come. And they're even more dependent on good connectivity than than you or I are, for for example. So, but to come to your to your question, and all of that's reasonable context, is that there is this insatiable need 
and it is a need now and an expectation, as you rightly say, for connectivity everywhere. And and you know what what does OneWeb do? Or how does OneWeb enhance that um, that capability? Well, it, it's it's relatively simple. Um, you have to bring a huge amount of capacity to this net to this global sort of network, if you like, because there's as I mentioned, insatiable demand for it, um, and that is growing exponentially. It's growing exponentially uh, terrestrially, and as we know, that that soon follows the uh, the in-flight trends as well. Um, so capacity is a is a huge thing. A capacity we can basically refer to as throughput on the aircraft. Um, so you have to have enough capacity in the network to be able to provide enough throughput, enough megabits per second for the aircraft to in turn allow the devices and the users to to be satisfied and whatever it is they want to do. So that's number one. Um, and luckily, we've got tons of that in in both uh, the initial design and, and also subsequent evolutions of that network. Secondly, you need to provide coverage everywhere, um, and it needs to be consistent, right? You can't be good somewhere and then be terrible somewhere else. That that's not particularly acceptable, and we've we've seen that throughout throughout the years. And with a low Earth orbit satellite constellation such as OneWeb's, is you can provide that coverage everywhere, and I mean everywhere: oceanic, polar. Um, over hubs, uh, over deserts. It doesn't really matter. This is the beauty of, of the LEO constellation. It's constantly moving across the globe and constantly able to put down service and capacity where it's needed. So it's really, really neat, and it suits the mobility sector really nicely, um, despite what um, uh, competitive forces might might allude to. Um, and another Another big importance of um, of passenger and user experience is is really down to latency, which is something which up until this point hasn't really been a factor because there hasn't really been an alternative other than in, in air to ground. But latency does affect not just the user experience, but does affect the sorts of applications that can be supported in a in a connectivity environment. Thinking of of some certain applications or, or cloud applications in particular that will simply time out if they don't if they don't connect and and uh, and do their handshakes and complete within a certain time frame and and geostationary satellites as an example um, aren't always supportive of that therefore this is one of the situations where uh, OneWeb uh, with, with latency of less than 100 milliseconds is very capable of doing those sorts of things and you get into the realms of satisfying you know to some degree gamers and providing a better experience for streaming and other uh, another sort of thing so it's it's really um if you like sort of filling in the gaps of where existing ifc um provides service but just taking it up a level um that, that makes it significantly better and i think in the cases of what we're what we're doing and how we're going to market couple that with um, geostationary, so we're thinking about multi-orbit types of applications, you you really have something which is the best of both worlds. Um, and I think we'll see more and more of that in the coming uh, in the coming months. Now, I have to ask a, a sort of a follow-up question just regarding the LEO satellites specifically and the, you know, the types of satellites that OneWeb is producing. Um, you talked about geo satellites. Um, just you know, for our audience, can you kind of give some perspective on why just the lower Earth orbit, you know, th- those satellites being closer to the Earth, and the fact that you're going to have, uh, you know, comparatively 
a number, you know, magnitude number of more satellites in your network than, you know, most existing, uh, you know, geo offerings. Can you talk about just the fact that those satellites will be closer to the Earth in orbit? Why could that aspect of this, you know, provide better service for, uh, you know, these metal tubes that are moving through the air at 500 miles per hour? Yeah, sure. So um, it, it's a good it's a good point actually. Fundamentally, low Earth orbit satellites or LEO satellites, in OneWeb's case, operate at an altitude of about twelve hundred kilometers above the Earth's surface, which is relatively close. Consider that to geostationary satellites, we're at about thirty six thousand kilometers above the Earth's surface. So, okay, there's a considerable difference in that. But what does it mean? Well, it means a couple of things. One, you need in, in simple terms, more power to be able to communicate with those satellites, either at the satellite level or at the uh, equipment on the aircraft level, or both, depending on what kind of throughput you want to you want to provide. Um, and in terms of pure physics, as I mentioned about latency earlier, you, you simply can't you can't beat physics. There's no way of cheating it. So in order to provide a low latency service, which by the way is what is happening terrestrially as we go 3G, 4G, 5G, LTE latency sort of trickles down all the time from there getting lower and lower so it's you know it's just following a trend that happens terrestrially in terms of physics it's quite obvious if you're at 1200 kilometers versus 36,000 kilometers you can tackle uh, lower latency far far easier um so there there's some elements as well um equally because the the constellation is constantly moving uh, over the globe which is quite hard to visualize but um there are there are several hundred satellites in OneWeb's constellation constantly moving across the globe, which means at any one point from an aircraft, there is always a satellite pretty much overhead or nearly overhead. So the look angles are significantly uh, better or easier to achieve than they would be, for example, in some uh, latitudes on geostationary satellites, which means in turn we can leverage things such as electronically steered arrays in the antennas, which are lighter, uh, they're potentially cheaper, um, and they provide um, greater reliability because there aren't any moving parts in them. So we can really leverage future technology on the aircraft, which means what it actually means for, for airlines operating these things is uh, because they're far more reliable, they don't require as much sort of babysitting or technical assistance to swap things out when they invariably go wrong because mechanical stuff, by definition, will wear out, motors will burn out, and all these sorts of things. So electronically steered arrays and that kind of technology, as well as multi-beam um, types of technology is significant enhancement. So there are, I mean, I could go on for quite a long time about the the, the benefits or, of, of LEO over GEO, but I will, um, I will also sort of say that, of course, it doesn't mean that uh, the geo is completely redundant. There are there are some use cases and certain uh, geographical areas um, from a regulatory perspective where geo is still very very relevant. And and I think uh, the the multi orbit approach is by far the strongest approach. Um, so combine the power of low Earth orbit for the use cases and 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 those areas where it makes absolutely sense with existing geofabric. And, and you've got, as I said earlier, you've got the best of both worlds. Right. 
Now, let's talk about um, some of the connection speeds. And this is always an interesting topic, uh, you know, to discuss with in-flight connectivity service providers when it comes to aircraft on sort of a per-flight basis. Now, on OneWeb's website notes that the network will be capable of delivering speeds of up to 195 megabits per second, um, specifically for the aviation sector. Um, can you expand on that a little bit to say, what does that mean on sort of a per aircraft, per flight and per passenger, you know, mobile device uh, perspective? You know, does that connection speed that um, you know, the network is projected to deliver, does that break down on sort of a per passenger basis? And can you kind of, um, you know, expand on that for us? Yeah, so a couple of uh, a couple of clarifications there. So from a network perspective, it's, it's not limited to 195 megabits per second. Um, in fact, the, the maximum available uh, throughput per spot beam is more in the region of 500 megabits per second. 195 is a limitation of, of the equipment on the aircraft at the moment. We expect that to evolve. But um, seeing as you, you've mentioned it and and what's actually the net result of that is 195 megabits uh, as a maximum to the aircraft. It really, I know it's not the answer you're looking for, it really depends on, on what the passengers are doing. So if it's just messaging or if it's uh, you know browsing, then then of course that 195 gets will always get split and contended amongst the passengers or the users on board the aircraft, depending on what they're doing. Some may get priority over others, depending on whether they've paid for it or not, or maybe where they're sitting in the aircraft or what sort of loyalty they have to the airline. Um, but generally, uh, and the way that IP works, it's pretty smart in, in allocating resource. And, and resource in this case, of course, is throughput, is bandwidth, to make sure that whatever whatever the devices and the users are demanding, it it, it, it will allocate the um the appropriate amount of resource to them, the amount of bandwidth to them to allow them to do what they want to do. We know uh, because IFC has been around for a while, as you mentioned, we know what passenger habits are. We know what they are regionally, chronologically, um, various different factors. So we do, we're able to forecast quite well from a, from a demand perspective where the, uh, where, where the, where the peaks and troughs are. Uh, but generally speaking, 195 megabits per second to an aircraft is enough to satisfy current and future uptake rates um, in, in all sorts of applications and use cases for passengers, for crew, for devices on the aircraft, all those sorts of things. So we don't, you know, I, I don't believe there will be a limitation or, or any sort of um, compromise in the um, in, in the in the user experience on the aircraft. Um, which is, which is even crazy to start to contemplate anyway when you consider what the typical throughput to available to an aircraft is today is is significantly lower than that. So I do see it as, a, as an enabler for passengers, uh, users, um, peripheral devices on aircraft to be able to do pretty much what they want to do all the time. That is a great explanation and a good transition to another topic that we do like to discuss on the podcast here is just the business models used, especially by airlines when it comes to connectivity and not only, you know, equipping their aircraft, um, you know, to, to provide the service to passengers, but also installing the antennas, modems, wireless access points and other enabling equipment, and then also 
operating that service or, you know, paying for the bandwidth on a monthly basis and, you know, again, providing that on to their passengers. Can you talk about, again, you know, the differentiation that your LEO network will bring to aviation? Um, could that change some of the business models used by airlines today? And could it eventually, you know, bring down the cost of those business models and the cost of delivering that service to passengers? Yeah, well, phenomenally good question. And I think um, the, the the key word I like to use in all of this is is not necessarily, you know, cost or cheap or anything else. It, it's all about value. And I think there is a value for providing um, low latency, global, polar, oceanic um, connectivity. And we need to be a little bit careful in terms of setting expectations and making sure people fully understand how it's ultimately going to be delivered because it will be, I think, in the main, a multi-orbit solution. Um, so it's it's quite difficult to, to assert that there will be a dramatic cost reduction because I think it will be blended with existing or other services. Um, but the value of those um, connectivity um, solutions and subscriptions will increase dramatically. So, um, but but you also mentioned the structure and the, and the business models, um, which is a really interesting uh, point. What we have strived to do throughout our our discussions with distribution partners and, and in in our strive to get to market appropriately is create um, not you know structures and models that are not rigid, that are agile enough to be able to react to the very real demand from airline customers to be able to adapt to different models, whether they're you know, free to passenger or partially free to passenger or paid or session or, or whatever they are. One thing that, that I'm very cognizant of is make sure that whatever we do uh, allows the freedom and the agility to to service all of those models, so we're not locking anyone out from a, a you know a structure or, or a procurement perspective at the airline level. Um, so so that that's been really key, and and I think designing a system effectively from scratch, um, and by by that you know I mean the back office systems and and uh, the operational systems and and such things has really helped us do that. So so getting rid of or freeing ourselves of the rigidity of, of legacy systems has been phenomenally, um, phenomenally helpful. Interesting. And so OneWeb recently completed a test flight, and this was a, you know, a, a really good, uh, you know, kind of milestone that the company recently surpassed with Stellar Blue Solutions on a Boeing 777. Uh, the test flight crew demonstrated some of the uh, different applications ranging from YouTube streaming, Netflix, and online VR gaming. Um, can you talk about what were some of the biggest takeaways or learnings that that you took away from that you know, test flight? Yeah, sure. So um, I think the, the, the biggest one was, was not how it worked or what applications it allowed or anything else, because we, we kind of knew that would be the case. I think the most important um, aspect is 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 the proof that it works and the proof that the terminal technology which you know the industry has been saying fairly collectively to the low earth orbit specifically OneWeb um community is that you know ESAs or electronically steered arrays in in the case of this demonstration are not ready for prime time they're years away they need lots of development well we, we've just proved 
that that's nonsense and it will be ready for deployment. Well, it is ready for deployment effectively um, uh, now and will be ready when, when the network is, is ready to provide service middle of, uh, middle of next year. So we're not surprised by those by the applications and the latency and, and the throughput that we demonstrated, and we're not we were not surprised that they you know very amply um, supported those kinds of applications. Um, but what was really important, I think, was putting a stake in the ground to, to to fairly big industrial forces that says you're wrong and we've proved you wrong. This this technology is ready for for the prime time. That was that was the big takeaway for me. And before we let you go, Ben, um, I know the listeners w- would would kill me if I didn't ask this. Uh, you recently had the, the big announcement with Utelsat and, and OneWeb reaching a merger agreement. Um, can you just kind of give us a little bit of reaction to ultimately, first of all, what does this merger agreement mean for OneWeb? And, you know, what could it mean for the in-flight connectivity service that you eventually bring to airlines? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, and it won't surprise you to know I can't elaborate much on that. Um, but what it does mean, since you asked the question for OneWeb, it, it, it gives us a, a terrific endorsement of, of what we're doing. Uh, I've mentioned several times, you know, multi-orbit um, solutions, and, and that sort of underlines that and, and gives us a, a path to achieving that. Um, and it also gives us a, a, a geostationary partner with existing um, capabilities specifically for for in-flight connectivity um so so there are quite clear and obvious synergies there um this this uh this this intended merger is is quite new not just for for listeners but also for for many of us as well so it would be folly of me to to comment or speculate any further but um as things become clearer um I, you know my own opinion about what the benefits to the aviation community, I think, will be uh, validated, um, and and of course, be happy to come back and, and tell you more about that once it's appropriate to do so. Okay, and we'll we'll be happy to follow up with you on that, uh, Ben. I think our listeners learned a lot from this conversation. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. That brings us to the end of another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on the Apple iOS podcast app or any smartphone or tablet podcasting application. Feel free to rank and comment on our podcast as well to let us know how we can improve. It also helps others find the podcast. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast.